Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Okay, welcome, welcome to Roach on Recovery. This is your host, Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host, as usual, pulling double duty, Mr. Chris Morales. 646-564-9909. 646-564-9909 is the number if you want to call in to speak to us or our guests. If you just want to listen to the show, you can go to our website, ocgworks.org that's o-c-g-w-o-r-k-s dot org and click on the OCG Radio Live button you can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio you don't have to call in on the call in line to listen to the show unless that's your only means by all means you're welcome okay Mr. Producer we're going to start off with a little bit of a uh, recap and Let's go to, I want to go all the way back to the show we did on the, our our special show we did on the Monsignor. Are you with me? You, you care to revisit that, uh, uh, the, the nightmare before? <laughs> the nightmare before no, 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 Christmas? That, that will come, that will come later. Uh, um, we had mentioned when we were, during the show that the Monsignor, not, not the Monsignor, but that Daytop had served over 40,000 people and uh, was in over 30 countries. 
Now, you know, normally when you say over 40,000, you could, you know, take that to mean, you know, it could be 45, 50, 60,000, whatever, or 30 countries, over 30 countries, it could be 35, 40, 45 countries. Something relatively in the ballpark. Yes, yes, yes. I have to issue a public <laughs> mea culpa because I was way off, way off, totally uh, uh, under undersold them. The actual number is that Daytop has treated over 200,000 people in the United States alone. Okay. So we're looking at five times off. Yeah, I was, <laughs> five I, times I was only five times off. That's not bad. No. That's not bad. I think, well, when you think of the number 40,000, million doesn't come into your head. But when you think of 200,000, you know, you're approaching close to a quarter of a million. That's a pretty pretty big gap. I'm thinking that, because remember <laughs> when we had the 40th anniversary, and that was just stuck in my head. I, I'm not sure where the, the you know, 40,000. But now let's move to the countries. I was reasonably certain about that one, over 30 countries. Sure. And it's over 66 countries. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, over 60. You're still over 30. Yeah, it's over 30. <laughs> it's just over like it was 30. over 40,000. Yeah. yeah. Make sure that's corrected for the uh for the record, editorial record. Perfect. Um last week we made it a point to acknowledge the 8th anniversary of the sudden passing, passing of uh, my childhood friend and wingman Joe Williams. And we also were fortunate enough to receive a surprise call from his older brother, Anthony. What we failed to inform our audience was that a few years um, after his passing, the organization, unbeknownst to me, I think that's important to add, created an award uh, called the Joseph E. Williams Memorial Award, which is awarded each year to an employee board member or volunteer who goes above and beyond the call of duty for our common ground. Right. And I was uh, surprised by the staff as the first recipient of the award. Uh, They pulled the wool over my eyes, went through backdoor channels, and did all kinds of shenanigans to make sure I wouldn't find out. That's right. uh, Even though I was wondering why my children and my wife was walking through the hallways, (laughs) <laughs> Etc. That's right. But um, <clears throat> so there is an award we give out every year called Joseph E. Williams Memorial Award, and it the award is handcrafted um, by my executive assistant Elizabeth, including she has on it the Yankee pinstripes. Oof. So no offense to the San Francisco contingent. <laughs> Uh, the question was asked also why we did not play his number one favorite song. We played his top five, George Benson, Give Me the Night, his top three, the number three song, um, <clears throat> Jimi Hendrix, Hey Joe. The reason we didn't play his number one song because it's about eight minutes long. But we will be dropping it at some point in the future. Uh, but it's an eight-minute song, and it's the extended version only. So when we, when we do an extended musical, uh, extended music break, um, we'll drop it. All right, let's do some uh, caller recap. 
Uh, we had a caller who had asked, and we didn't we didn't answer this question. What the average success rate was with or without a sponsor? And I think the obvious answer is if you have a sponsor or someone of support in your corner, your success rate is obviously going to be higher than if you were by yourself. Would you not agree? I would completely agree. One thing that, and perhaps I'm just forgetting, but did the caller mention exactly how they define success? Are we talking about just clean and sober without a relapse, or how how did the caller define success? Uh, They didn't. Just asked the question about what was the average success rate. And that's really not something we can quantify either way anyway. We can just say whether or not your chances are going to be better with or without. Yeah, with with the sponsor, certainly the the more support, the better. Right. We had another caller um, called about, and this was the 19-year-old, about the difficulties being a youngster uh, in recovery. And one of the things we wanted to add, which we didn't get a chance to, was that that age group doesn't benefit from experiences that may hasten their desire to enter the recovery realm. You know, not that we want them to have to experience those things, but there is something to say for life experiences that create urgency to redirect your life in a positive way. And when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, you just haven't had that much life experience, um, negative life experience. And that's one of the reasons why it's, you know, not a, a high statistical rate of people who enter recovery at that age that grasp it. And, you know, when we had our adolescent program, one of the things that we wouldn't do is we wouldn't assess their success until they entered the 22, 23, 24 age range. Right. Because we had to allow for them to go through their normal teenagedom, so to speak, right. before we would determine whether or not they were on the right path. So that was that one. Uh, and then I think our last caller called and wanted to know, if at six months into his recovery, how would getting into a relationship affect his recovery? We stated it would significantly affect his recovery, but we but we should have added that they could affect his recovery either positively or negatively. You know, it depends on the circumstances and all of that stuff. So um, we just stated it would affect but didn't clarify. Right, and I think you also made a really good point with that when you brought up it's not necessarily relationships generally speaking – that are the problem, rather the inability to cope with relationships, exactly, and things that come with them. So, all right, I need to tell a couple of stories real quick. Oh, we got story time on our hands. Captain's log supplemental. Yes, sir. Captain's log. All right. Uh, this is just some backroom, behind the scene stuff uh, that we've laughed about. You may not find it amusing. We we have. So here you go. Two things. We, we've mentioned many times when we did the show for the Monsignor, which was on the 24th of October, we actually had no plans to, to go live until November 18th. And it was that Wednesday, which would have been the 22nd, um, when the night before, so that Tuesday, the 21st, is when I found out that the Monsignor passed away that Sunday, the 19th. And I made the decision on Wednesday, Mr. Producer, if you recall, I said, you know what, let's go live on Friday and do a special show. Indeed. And so Thursday, 
we said, okay, let's go in and um, a, you know, just to check our equipment, make sure everything is working right, and then, you know, five, ten minutes, and then everything's okay, good. We'll be back here tomorrow and um, be ready to rock and roll. Well, about three hours later, after everything had gone haywire, the mics weren't working properly. We couldn't get our headsets working. He couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear him. Uh, we we were doing some test calls. We couldn't hear callers. All kinds of craziness was uh, going on. And um, I think, what was it, like 8, 8.30 at night? I mean, we, 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 we started, we came in to do our test, test the equipment at like 3.30 in the afternoon. We figured we'd just spend 15 minutes, turn everything on. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, okay, we're good to go. All right. Real easy. And <laughs> that's it. And here we are at 8 o'clock, still trying to figure out. Can you hear me? Nope. Can I hear you? Nope. <laughs> what the heck is going on, right? Or I'm here. We got to go live tomorrow. <laughs> or I'm hearing you say one thing repeated 17 times with yeah. the echo and right. everything else. We had this crazy echo going on. Couldn't figure out what happened. Um, I, I touched the uh, our uh, switch box. All I did was touch it. Didn't touch any of the knobs. And <laughs> all of a sudden, the mics weren't working. Well, you know, we eventually, uh, what was it, 9 o'clock at night, maybe, that we, we finally got everything working properly and felt uh, confident enough to walk out of the room backwards, making sure we didn't touch anything. So when we came back in the next day, that we would be ready to rock and roll with no issues and everything turned out okay. But it was crazy that, was, that Thursday. That was. That was. And a little scary, too. Um not anticipating that things were going to end up working with all of the problems, wondering what in the heck we were going to do. Yeah, and now in a, in a larger picture, um, in our preparation for um, doing this show, first, you know, I think we need to give a shout out to uh, oh. to Gelb Music in okay. uh, Redwood City um, because they're the ones who hooked us up with our equipment, and you know we're. <laughs> We're testing mics, uh, <laughs> mic stands, and uh, switch boxes, and so on and so forth. And in the end, we realized so we both bought the same, you know, the same mics. And we couldn't figure out why when we were do a practice, you know, a practice show, and we'd play it back, and we'd listen to it. It would like I could hardly be heard, and they can hear Chris, Chris, uh, you know, with no problem. And he, you know, he would say things. Well, I just have a better voice for radio. <laughs> we, and, you know, he'd be, right. One of us couldn't figure out why. The other pretty much <laughs> knew. Uh, one of us possesses a strong voice, while the other, shall we say, possesses a delicate voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, come to find out, you know, there's many different types of mics for many different types of voices, and so uh, I had to do some research, present the problem, and they said, look. With the type of voice you have, this is the type of mic you need. You can't use this type of mic that, that he's using. You need this type of mic. And so got that type of mic in place, and we tested it. sounded beautiful um, according to uh, independent observation, and uh, we got that fixed. Then we had the problem of the echo, the <laughs> Twilight Zone echo. <laughs> the echo. That That's got to be the worst problem yeah, that, that we experienced. That we could just not figure out. Um, Many trips back and forth, and, and the guys at the music store, Gelb Music, were wonderful uh, in helping us figure in, figure out what was going on. 
and eventually, after maybe three or four trips and, you know, occupying their time, because you remember they got customers in the store, and we're like saying, look, we can't get rid of this echo that we hear. I, you know, I hear my voice three times in the headset. He hears his voice three times in the headset. It's absolutely annoying. Now, when we play when we play our practice shows back, you don't hear obviously you don't hear the echo, but it's, it's annoying if you've ever put headsets on and listen to music or whatever and hear yourself talk to hear your voice reverb back in, into your ear. It's annoying. And eventually, they figured out what the problem was and and how the wires were crossed, et cetera. And we finally got rid of that annoying echo. And it was unbelievable when we finally figured it out. It was like we had just climbed to the top of Mount Everest. I felt like we had overcome one of the greatest obstacles life could have thrown at us at that point. Yep. Because we couldn't solve it. We were spending weeks trying to solve what in the heck is switching headsets, switching microphones. Is it the internet? Is it is it the phone jacks we're plugged into? Is it the color shoes we're wearing? We were <laughs> thinking about everything. And so, yeah, when we finally got it straight... Oh, what a weight off our shoulders. Yep. All right, sir, I'm ready to go in the news. Before, inside the news. And before we go into the news, I would like to throw one more shout-out out there to Mr. Robert Ferrer. Also, our, to, our technical advisor. Our technical advisor, if you're listening out there. Thanks a lot for all your help as well. Um, Didn't we threaten him? I think we. I think there may have been some underhanded threats there. But ultimately, uh, Robert Pereira assisted us in getting all set up, too, and talking us through this process, and so definitely deserves a shout-out. Definitely. Thank you very much, Robert. Wow. What an introduction. News time. Yes, sir. One of your favorite NFL quarterbacks, Tyler Thigpen. (laughs) What, What a name. Tyler Thigpen. Any relation to Eancy Thigpen, the old wide receiver, I think for Pittsburgh, if you know who I'm talking about. I do not think so, unless they were brothers from another mother. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, he was arrested not too long ago in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and charged with a DUI. That's going to be a familiar theme, by the way. Uh, he was found sitting in his car in a Wendy's drive through and they tried to wake him for 20 minutes. Now, I want to know, were they trying to wake him through the speaker of the drive through or did they actually come out and try to wake him up? No, very funny. Very <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah, they were knocking on his window with a nightstick, and for 20 minutes he was knocked out, uh, and he was, in their, the word, their words, he was slumped in the driver's seat of his uh, black Cadillac SUV. Wow. And when he said he did not know where he was or how he got there. But he did smell of alcohol. My goodness. And suffice it to say that he is no longer in the NFL and has not been in the NFL for some time. Right. Right. And and that's scary. Really, That that is so scary to think you're behind a vehicle, right? You're being woken up, and you don't know how on earth you got where you are. Yeah. How, how so far did you travel? Yeah, how far did you travel? And that's just, boy, that is quite scary to think about. Yep. Let's move to the Midwest, off Lake Michigan. Is it Lake Michigan, Chicago, where Chicago's? I believe yes. Also? Yes, indeed, I believe it is. All right, this is a crazy one here. I know the cops are in the news a lot uh, these days, especially. Yeah. Huh? 
We have an off-duty Chicago police officer that has been stripped of his arrest powers because he allegedly, while driving under the influence, fired his pistol multiple times at another off-duty police officer who tried to pull him over because he was driving erratically. He got out of his car, approached the the other guy, the other off-duty cop that was trying to pull him over, and fired several shots into the car. Fortunately, none of them hit the other guy. Uh, but suffice it to say, he's been stripped of his gun and badge. Um, and there was another off-duty cop in the passenger seat of the car that he was in. Not the guy who tried to pull him over, but there were two off-duty cops. And so you have policemen driving uh, under the influence, which is not new. I can tell you some stories growing up where I'm from, but <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll save that for another time. But, um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, and it begs the comment as well with all of the uh, current events going on with police brutality towards civilians. Looks like they're turning it against one another now as well. <laughs> so, so equal opportunity brutality here oh, at this point. Unbelievable. Um, all right, this is a delicate subject because it involves someone losing their life. And so we had a young woman who, this is a case, this is a court case that has come to a close, at least one part of it. Um, it came to a close in September of this year. A young lady who was uh, ultimately murdered by someone she met in AA. And they're now attempting to. So the case is over. The gentleman has been convicted. Gentleman, the, the guy, the, the murderer, has been convicted of murdering this young lady uh, who she met at an AA meeting. And, and now that that case, is, the criminal part is closed, they're now suing uh, AA uh, to say that they have some liability. And this is not the first time this issue has come up with people being unsafe, or have claims of people being unsafe at um, AA meetings. <clears throat> right. So it's unfortunate that there has been a loss of life, um, but this is going to continue because of now now that the criminal case is ended, as I said, they're now turning their sights towards uh, AA. And this is not the first time AA has faced uh, legal issues regarding things that have gone on at their meetings. Um, so they're suing the uh, the central office, which is based out of New York. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if it's the worldwide office or if it's the just the national, the national office. Okay. Um, so we'll keep you updated on that because... AA is something that uh, people in recovery uh, rely on a lot. And I'm sure you've heard stories. I've heard stories. Um, <clears throat> just a part of society. All right. We're going to close on some legislative stuff. Uh, there's a new bill. This is out of Congress. That would allow the Veterans Administration to recommend medical marijuana for patients. Right now, because it's against federal law, 
regardless of what various states are doing. It's against federal law. So no, none of the doctors in the VA can prescribe medical marijuana for any of the soldiers for PTSD or any pain-related issues, et cetera. Because they're federal employees, because right? Because they're federal employees. Now, by the way, whenever we're going to mention a uh, senator or a congressman, we're always going to uh, purposely mess up their name. Um, because that's what we kind of think of Congress today. Um, they don't deserve to have their names pronounced properly. And sometimes okay. we can't pronounce their names anyway, so we're just going to make up a pronunciation. But uh, this guy is Earl Blumenhausendale uh, out of Oregon <laughs> and Representative uh, a Republican out of, oh, out of California. What do you know? Uh-oh. Dana Aurora Bucker Shocker Rock and Sucking Robots. Uh, these guys are coming together on a bill introducing legislation that would, re- require, that would allow the Department of Veterans Affairs to let their doctors recommend the drug for some patients. I don't know what they mean by that, for some patients. It's called the Veterans Equal Access Act. Hmm, Interesting. Medical marijuana. You know we're going to talk about that one one day. That's a big topic. Yep. <clears throat> Lots to cover there. Are you going to touch at all on the uh, the Jersey Shore? <laughs> oh, about the um, oh, how unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, 35 pounds of cocaine found hidden in a wine shipment. So the Soprano crime family is going to have to do without for a little bit. Uh in fact, scratch from the record that we ever used the family name Soprano. We don't need anyone in that syndicate coming anything. after us. Exactly. So. No phone calls or knock on the doors <laughs> from that part of the country. Um, but, yeah, buried in, uh, trying to hide it in, uh, what was it, some uh, white Zinfandel? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it must have nat- been some of the good stuff. <laughs> um, but 35 pounds. Uh, the, um, was it the Coast Guard? Or was uh, it? No, Customs. Customs, Customs and Border Protection. Wow. So uh, yeah, that's a big find. Anyone that is abusing or using uh, cocaine in New Jersey, uh, there will be a delay. <laughs> a delay for a moment of time. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to increase the uh, street value. Whenever there's a big bust and they uh, popularize. You know, hey, yeah. supply and demand. You know, economics. Oh, nothing, nothing escapes economics. Nothing, <laughs> nothing escapes. escapes economics, nothing. legal or illegal. Right. All right. So last thing we got on the docket is um, Arizona Rep. Albert Hale accused of DUI. Authorities say Arizona legislature was arrested, accused of driving while intoxicated. Um booked into the county jail, and, of course, details of his arrest are not available. He's a Democrat from St. Michael's, a Navajo Nation community in Apache County. Hmm. This annoys me whenever uh, a lawmaker or a law enforcer thinks that they can do. Thinks that they are above the laws with which they plan on holding others accountable for? Yes. That always irks me. And it happens more than you know, especially with the DUI thing. Um, sure, you just got to dig, got to dig like we dug to to, to find it. Yeah. Uh, now he didn't make like the police officer who is also in a position of holding folks accountable for the law. Uh, he didn't 
decide to act like the police officer and shoot at whoever was pulling him over? No, he didn't do that. He went, <laughs> he went quietly? Nor did he do like that uh, prosecutor in Texas who was uh, um, a few months ago pulled over for DUI and thrown into county jail and went crazy. And they had her on, her on video going crazy, yelling at the cops and everything. Mm-hmm. And this is a, uh, a a district attorney, by the way. Wow. So there you have it. There you have it. All right, what's up next, Mr. Producer? We are uh, going to head into the show topic. Now, I don't know if we want to uh, let the callers know what the topic will be and then take a little music break or take a music break first, come back for the topic. But we're going to dive right in to the show topic here in a bit so we could perhaps get to some callers who want to chime in about either what was in the news or the topic or just callers who want to call in for a little recovery time support. So right. that's going to be your call. It's going to you're the host of the show. Okay, right, I play a, second fiddle here. All right, let's take a music break first, and then when we come back, we'll dive right into the show topic. Will do. Oh, 
Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. Our topic today, what is the definition of a drug and alcohol addict? We want to discuss that, how the definition of that impacts whether or not a person seeks treatment or advised to seek treatment by their family and friends. And we also want to talk about uh, one of the treatment community's dogmas of once an addict, always an addict. Is that true? And is there a time when that is no longer applicable, et cetera? So let's start with the definition. Let's break out Webster's 19th edition version 2400. I'm joking. Don't go look for it. It doesn't <laughs> exist. All right. So if you look in the dictionary, the word addict is a noun. And, oh, by the way, I just want to say off from the get, I disagree with the dictionary definition, but I'm just going to read it to you anyway. Someone who is so ardently devoted to something that it resembles an addiction. So what does that mean? Huh. Repeat that. It says someone who is so ardently devoted to something that it resembles an addiction. Okay. See, if we had the 1970s and the 1980s dictionary... <laughs> It would just somebody say, who smokes too much crack or shoots uh, yeah. too much heroin. A dopamine. <laughs> right, right. Um, <clears throat> then the second definition, and this is very controversial, and we're going to talk about it. Someone who is physiologically dependent on a substance, abrupt depri- deprivation of that substance produces withdrawal symptoms. Now, I also have here, now, my definition of an addict is this, someone who is abusing drugs or alcohol, and as a result of that abuse, it is impacting their daily life. The drug and the, the pursuit of the drug has now become their sole function in life. It's now taking precedent over everything else, their job if they still have one, impacting their family life if they still are connected to family just having a negative impact in all facets of their life. It's almost like the tail end of your definition is why you might use the word abuse at the beginning of your definition. Yes. It's not the use of a drug, the abuse of a drug, which kind of implies, right, you're abusing it that, I kind of like that. Because I like then, your definition. Because then associated behaviors are attached to that. Right. Okay. Now, there is such a thing as a functional addict. As a producer, okay, That's, you know, someone who's holding down a job, um, and you know, still being somewhat responsible, um, but they're on the other side still abusing drugs, still somehow managing on the surface to take care of themselves, which also taking care of yourself, uh, I'm sure can be defined in many ways, but on the surface, surface level, paying your bills, you're not homeless, mm-hmm. you got food in the fridge. Um. Yeah, something like on that level. Okay. Right. I hear you. Now, when they were debating, the committee that debates the DSM manuals and its updates, and just for our audience sake, DSM stands for the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and right now they're up to version 5. Most people are probably still operating off of version 4. But when they were debating or meeting about what was going to be in version three, one of the things that came out of that was they did not like the term addict 
They thought it was had a negative connotation and it would stigmatize people and have a negative impact on them seeking treatment. Yeah, if I seek treatment, then I'm an addict. And if I'm seen <laughs> as an addict, that's not a good thing. So we're going to avoid that altogether. Right. So they got they didn't use that term, and I think they went with uh, dependency. A dependent, sure. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> they realized after that, as they were to, uh, meeting again to update and do the DSM-4, that that caused a considerable backlash. Okay. Because okay. there's an argument to be made that there's a difference between an addict and someone who's dependent. Okay. Okay. So using my definition, which is what they eventually came to, what they were trying to avoid, they were trying to be politically correct. And when you try and be politically correct sometimes, you end up causing another problem. Sure. Okay. So not wanting to call an addict an addict, uh, they ended up using a term that kind of then infringed upon another another term which had a different connotation and definition in the medical like field. medically speaking, right? Exactly. <clears throat> so, like the way a uh, type one diabetic is dependent on insulin, exactly. For example, right? Um. So we're gonna go with, you know, in in the field that we're in. We're not going to be politically correct. <laughs> We're going to keep it real. Right. We're going to go with you're an addict if you are abusing drugs and doing all of the associated behaviors that come with it. Sure. Okay. And we're not going to deal with the dependency aspect because we know, for example, that there's certain drugs that someone can abuse, heroin, um, even methamphetamine to a certain extent, but alcohol that, be, that the body becomes physiologically dependent on it, or, or you know, if you stop using it, there are withdrawal, physical symptoms, exactly. And, right. So we know that in the field, but if you're robbing grandma, <laughs> right, and stealing car radios to get money for your drugs. I wouldn't call you a dependent. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, and if you're stealing from grandma and breaking into cars, I think um, having the word addict thrown at you is maybe the least of your problems. Yeah, I mean, we used to come harder than that. <laughs> so we would, listen, oh, yeah, man, you, yeah. you're, you're being a dope fiend. <laughs> That's it. Dope fiend behavior. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, Yes, it's you know it's pejorative, it's negative, um, et cetera, but we wanted you to take a hard look at what you were actually doing and being, and we weren't going to nice it up for you. No. Now, who, who whose purpose does that serve to nice it up, to make it you know politically correct, to make it sound nice? The individual you're referring to, I would imagine. Not the addict. It wouldn't. It wouldn't, in my opinion, help the addict. I mean, ultimately, I think the addict needs to hear the truth, the truth, and uh, and not have it not be sugar coated. Now, when we when we have these interpretations, it makes a difference with whether or not a person is going to decide that, hey, uh, you know what, I I am at this point where I, I am an addict right now. I'm displaying all the behaviors of an addict, and I need to seek help. 
even someone who's functional as an addict at some point realizes before they fall over the cliff, lose, you know, material things, their home, their car, lose other things, you know, uh, connections to loved ones, etc., may make the decision that, hey, you know what, I need help. But if uh, persons are going around saying, well, you know, you're just a you. <laughs> You're just a user, not an abuser. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's going to impact whether or not, you know, thinking in the addict mind, you know how the, the rationale comes into play, you know, well, I, I guess I'm not that bad. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I guess I really don't need help um, or I'm still working. You can justify it any way in you any, want. In multiple ways. and You just point the finger to the guy... Sleeping on the side of the street. Well, I'm not there. So, yeah, and that's not uh, – all things are relative mm-hmm. in, that, in that instance. Now, we know that more often than not – tell me if you agree, Mr. Producer. It's more often than not the person who ends up in treatment does not come – from their own realization, there's usually outside and external pressure. And, and to, in today's world, that external pressure can be from criminal justice system. But you know, back back in the day, you know, if you weren't involved in the criminal justice system, there was pressure from you know, if you if you were married from spouse, if you're you know, if you're not married from significant other, if you know, from parents, from siblings, from aunts, uncles, et cetera, anyone who cared about you, who loved you and was close to you and, and could see what you readily couldn't see or weren't readily ready to admit that, hey, you needed help because you were in that, you know, abusive state, in that addiction state. Um, they would, you know, call it what we call, what do we call it now? An, intervene. An intervention. And, and, an intervention. And, you know, back then the intervention was kind of different. Um, remember when we used to say to the adolescents they would be, be brought in with, by their parents with you know holding them by the ear, you know now that would be child abuse, right? As long well, if there dra- was a bruise, yeah, they, they, <laughs> can't leave a mark. Remember they dragging them up the stairs of the front of the adolescent facility and you know holding them by the ear, dragging them in. Can't do that now, but um, yeah, I mean, so they were pressured in because they didn't come to the realization themselves, right? Okay. And I always say, I don't care how you get in there. Sure, yeah. I don't care how you get in there. But one thing that you're going to deal with once you get into the treatment realm is looking at yourself and admitting to yourself that what you are. I mean, that's like the first step. And if you are in that state of denial that, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm I'm really not an addict. I just use on the weekends or so on and so forth. Then we have a problem. And we can't go any. We can't go anywhere. We can't move past that until we deal with that. Right. Okay. Now, in in the politically politically correct realm, of course, uh, we're trying to come up with all different types of ways to state the obvious that may not be as hurtful. Is that is that, is that the right word? I mean, we're 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 trying to. Uh, yeah, you're gonna uh, be nice. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're, you're yeah you're trying to be conscious of the way someone might feel about it. Right, and uh, I believe that's a disservice to the person um, if they present to you what their life is, what's going on in their life, that we should tell them 
this is what you are right now. This is where you're at. As bad as it may sound, as you know, ugly as it may sound, this is who you are. You're an addict. Now what do you want to do? And and we don't throw that around uh loosely. Right. You know what I mean? And you know, someone may come in, someone you know, we may encounter somebody who let's say, um Remember the old term weekend warrior? Yes. You know, you know, Monday through Friday they don't touch anything. They, they, don't work, they do their business. You know, and they go out on the weekends and indulge and then Monday they're back to turn it right know, back turn, on. Turn it right back on. Okay. So that person would not fit the definition of an addict. They would be called a user. They right. use. Right. Okay. They don't ex- they don't experience any negative consequence of their their using yet. Um and so they have not entered into the realm of addiction yet. So we wouldn't classify them as that. Right. So there is a distinction. Okay? No, yeah, you're not just going to throw that label on anyone walking through the door of a treatment facility is what you're saying. And right. I completely agree with that. Now, is it possible, so a person admits, they come to the conclusion, I'm an addict, I need help. They go and get help. Is there some point in the future where that label, that definition, no longer applies to them? Now, before you answer that, know that in the treatment community, there's a segment of the community that believes the dogma that once you're an addict, once you identify yourself as an addict, you're always an addict. That's it. Okay. That's prominent in certain circles. Okay. But I want to just food for thought conversation. Um, is that is that true? That's uh, <laughs> that's a very good food for thought conversation. Um, and I can. I know that it's been around for a while. That the idea that once an addict, always an addict has been a topic in the community of folks in recovery for as long as I can remember. Um, I think maybe a a long time ago it was more popular than it is now. Like a long time ago, that was the leading belief, and and it was what it was. And I think now that may be starting to change. Uh, Honestly, I could probably argue just as good for one side as the other, but I could see I could see both uh I could see both sides. Alright, well I'm here to tell you that uh that's not, not true. true. That's not true. Right. That is not true. <clears throat> and this is how I uh, this is how I'm gonna present my argument. I ask these questions. We started out with what the definition of an addict was. If at some point, whether it be two years, five years, ten years, twenty-five years, the person is no longer meeting that definition, what purpose does it serve for them to refer to themselves in that term? I don't believe it would serve a purpose. Now, society, if you went around just walking down the street and walked into Starbucks and said, I'm an addict, the people in Starbucks would look at you without even saying anything to you. Do you think that they would receive that as a positive 
thing or they would, they would they would look at it negatively. There's definitely a negative connotation involved with that label in society. Yes. Right. So what I would ask a client is when you have reached a stage where you have demonstrated, here's the key, you have demonstrated that you are no longer in that life, right? Mm-hmm. You're no longer in that life. Okay. Why would you continue to refer to yourself as to something that you're not when you know it's interpreted negatively? You wouldn't. Now, and then so I might ask, would it change whether or not you would refer to yourself as that if it weren't interpreted negatively? If the interpretation were neutral, uh, I mean, is it the reaction that you're trying to avoid or how you actually view yourself? Well, I don't know if the interpretation will will change or or yeah, I'm if, not sure it will if, either. If it should change, the the definition of an addict is what it is, and it's not it it doesn't mean something good. It doesn't mean something positive. It is mean it has a negative connotation to it. It's descriptive of negative behaviors, of abuse of a substance, etc. None of those things are good, and so why would I continually refer to myself as that when I'm, I have demonstrated for years that I am no longer living that, doing that. Right. Right. Well, okay, so then let's say, and are you just not labeling yourself that because of everything that comes with it? And do you still on some level believe, yeah, you know, even though I'm not living this way or behaving this way or doing these things, I still am an addict. I just choose not to refer to myself in that light because I've been living long enough without doing that stuff to where I don't believe that that the title needs to be hung over my head at this point. Well, but somewhere somewhere inside, you still might believe that that's what you are. Well, that would bring up the the, the question of whether I mean, because some people believe that because uh, I would ask, well, prior to you using drugs and ultimately end up ending up abusing drugs, did you define yourself as an addict? I mean, when you were, you know, let's, let's say you started using drugs at 20, right? At age 13, 14, 15, and 16, did, did you define yourself as an, an addict? I don't, I don't think anyone would. Um, so if you have many years been demonstrating the opposite of what the definition of an addict is, why would you not drop that description of yourself. I argue that it serves a negative purpose to continue to refer to yourself in that manner if you have demonstrated that you are not doing that, that you are living a different lifestyle than that. That's the argument that I would make. Now, I know that that is not a popular argument in, in, in many circles, but I always ask the client, or as I said before, I always tell the client, this is just food for thought, something to think about, and to ask yourself and to think logically about it. Now, obviously, people have come up to me over the years and said, well, you know, one of the reasons why I do say that I, I might go to an AA meeting, NA meeting, or a CA meeting, BA meeting, FA meeting, etc., and say, hello, my name is John, and I'm an addict, and one of the reasons why I do that is to uh, reinforce it to myself and to, to constantly remind myself of that. And my, my first answer is, you do whatever it is you have to do 
to maintain your sobriety. Right. As long as it's positive and constructive. You do whatever you have to do. And if you consider that positive and constructive, so be it. Right. I'm just making an argument that referring to yourself as an addict when you're no longer displaying those behaviors and living that lifestyle to me does you a disservice. And and also when the person says, well, I do it to remind myself, you will never forget that part of your life. Where you came from. You will never forget that part of your life. I agree. It, it, it shaped, it, you know, if, if you were using for 20 years and you've been clean for 15, that 20 years of use, you know, participated in shaping who you have become in that 15 years of sobriety. I completely agree with that. So to answer the question, is it true? I emphatically say it is not true. There Mr. you have Pro- it. Mr. Producer. <laughs> there you have it. You heard it here first. That once an addict is not always an addict. All right. All right. Well, it was stated, and it was stated with some fire and some passion here on Roach on Recovery, so you can mark it down, folks, those of you who are listening. Please don't send me hate emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. No, that's good. You know what? I, I completely agree. I think you make some very, very valid points, and true, it may not be the most popular of statements or opinions, um, but you bring up some really valid points, and I do believe as long as the negative kind of stigma exists and is attached to that, you know, just what that is, being an addict and that term, uh, that definition, then, yeah, people who would define themselves as such or have that label attached to them are going to experience some of the fallback from that negativity. So I agree with you. Now, I just want to recap just to make sure everyone that's listening is clear. The key things that I said are that the person has demonstrated over a period of time. I'm not talking about someone that's... uh, 90 days? (laughs) 30 days into their recovery process. Okay? I'm talking about someone that has demonstrated, for me, I say a minimum of two years, but could be longer. But if you're out there and you've been 15 years doing your thing, living a positive and constructive life, and you've put that part of your life behind you, I don't think you should refer to yourself as an addict because you're not doing that. You're not living that. You're doing something totally different. Yep. And you don't need any word to remind you or to – you don't need to to – Repeat the word, reinforce the word, refer to yourself as that to remind yourself of what you once were. You already know. You have it in your memory bank. It's stored there permanently. So why reinforce something that society knows is negative? Why reinforce it is my point. Yeah. Great point. I'd say that's a very, very good point. Again, um, really valid and it's logical it makes sense i rest my argument well done well done i'd I'd like to come back with an emphatic opposite uh just to make for a good radio but i gotta say no you do bring up some very valid points so there, there will be no rebuttal from the defense no rebuttal from the defense at this time uh perhaps you know i can ask for an extension here reconvene get my thoughts together my 
ammunition loaded up to fire back at you. But at the moment, <laughs> no, uh, nothing, nothing at the moment. Well the, well, the reason why we wanted to tackle this one first, because we always try and go in logical order, right? Defining the addict and dealing with, well, when, when do I no longer, when, I'm, when am I no longer that? And as you know, you've been working in the field a long time, I've been working in the field a long time, and that's always a struggle for clients in terms of, you know, am I am I always going to be this? Right. Is this how I'm always going to be defined and referred to? Well, for some people, they refer to they do it themselves. You know, they stand up and say, "Hey, my Their name choice. is Joe. I'm yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm an addict." Right. Okay. And and to me, it's a little bit different when someone says, uh, in you know, if they're in a conversation with someone and and we're talking about recovery, and they say and they might say, "I'm a recovering, um, you know, a recovering addict," or you know, "I've been in recovery," or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's not the same, in my opinion, as saying, you know, well, I'm an addict, and I'll always be an addict until the day I die. I may not be using right now. I may not be, you know, doing all those negative things, but I'll always be an addict. That's just what I am. Right. Right. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. Now, if that were the case, then I'm addicted to airplanes. (laughs) Uh, You most certainly are. You most certainly are. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and you may always be, and, and and I always will be. So, and and we're not making light, but I'm just saying. I mean, every, everyone has things that they that they love, and you know. And uh, I, mean, I think I, I I think I told my wife today she's got three addictions. She said five. I'm talking about all of her crafts. Right, right, right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But we don't use that word addiction because it has a negative connotation. You know what I mean? So we're, we're I mean right. we're joking when we say that, but you know. It's positive. It's constructive. So we don't say it's an addiction. It's a hobby. It's a hobby. <laughs> it's a okay? hobby. You're right. Okay. Yeah. That, no, that's I, not I to see. say that we haven't met some smart Alex over the years who who actually used that term and say, you know, well, one of my hobbies is using. <laughs> right. Right. On the weekends. My name's My name's Chris, and I have a hobby of uh, getting high. Yes. So. All right. I'm done on that subject. It's not that deep for me. No, I think you uh you covered it pretty well. We we went into it and covered it covered it pretty well as far as the definition is concerned. All right, let's go let's take another music break and then uh we'll go into some recovery sport. Sounds good. All right. But it was long ago Jane, it was lovely She was a queen of my night There in the darkness With the radio Playing low end And the secrets that we share Mountains that we move
myself alone Surrounded by strangers I thought were my friends Found myself further and further from my home And I guess I lost my way There were so many roads I was living to run and running to live Never worried about paying or even how much I owe
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you. Okay, welcome back to Roach on Recovery. We just finished our topic, which uh, we can go back to at any time if anybody wants to call on that topic. 646-564-9909. We were talking about what is the definition of a drug and alcohol addict and also dealing with the dogma of once an addict, always an addict. And I think, uh, Mr. Producer, I asked for... uh, no uh, no mean emails in regards to my opinion on that. All right. Let's go to the phones now. Uh, it's our recovery support time. Let's start with uh, Thomas calling from Belmont. Thomas? Yes. yes. Awesome. Hello? How are you? Oh, I'm okay. I just have a question. Uh, it's... Uh, what is the key to bringing knowledge I have learned in treatment into my daily life when I leave treatment? Would you uh, can you help me out with that? Have you experienced going through treatment and um, exiting treatment and relapsing? Yes. Is that that's... is that what what. That's really okay. So I presume when you when you go through treatment that you're going to learn certain tools. Correct. Okay, and I like to think of treatment as your. You ever heard the term the Michigan proving grounds? Yeah. You know what that is? Okay, so that's where like Detroit used to all the automakers used to go and test their cars out before they sold them to the public. The Michigan Proving Grounds. Okay. So I always like to think of treatment as like the Michigan Proving Grounds. This is where you would go. You would learn the things you need to learn about yourself, what made you tick, what made you make the decisions you made, how you can make better decisions, resolve any outstanding issues you may have, any trauma, any things of that nature, right? And Okay. And if a person learns and understands why they made the decisions that they made, why they turn to substances to help them deal with their life, if they know why they did that, they can then prevent themselves from making those same decisions again. Now, that sounds very simple, doesn't it? Very simple, but very simple. Not- Right. It's so simple, it's hard. Exactly. Because what it requires from the person is that they have to put it into practice. 
And when a person struggles with putting it into practice, it means that they did not use their treatment time effectively. They did not use it as the Michigan Proving Grounds to practice what they needed to do as if they were living on the outside. Or if they're going, if they're in outpatient treatment, practice when they go home what they have learned. Use those tools. People, you know, they, they walk away from treatment and they just forget the tools. Or they don't forget. They just choose not to use the tools. And by the way, these tools have been around for eons. No one, no one has copyright to them, Thomas. Right. Okay. But each individual person must find out for themselves, because everyone is different. Everyone has different, you know, issues that have brought them to the point that they're at. So you have to find out for yourself, am I addressing the issues for Thomas? Am, is Thomas stacking his toolbox, and is he practicing utilizing those tools while he's in the treatment environment? Or if he's an outpatient, while, you know, when he goes home, is he practicing the things that he's learned? Because you've got to unlearn those, you know, those other behaviors and, and practice those new ones. And if you don't practice them, if you don't practice them, then you're not going to succeed. That's where the problem comes in right there, I guess. Not continually practicing them. Right? It's got to happen every day. Right. Especially, 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 okay, in the early phases of recovery. you got to practice it every day until it becomes second nature, instinctual. And the only way that that happens is through repetition, repetition, repetition. Practice, practice, practice. We're not Allen Iverson here. Man, I'm talking about practice. It's just practice. You got to practice every single day. Okay, sir? Okay. Thank you so much. But uh, I want you to keep us posted. Okay, I will do that. All right. I'll be back and I'll be contacting you again. Thank you so much, right. okay? Bye-bye. Thank you, Thomas. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's, that's a common common theme, you know, um, that people struggle with. Okay, so I either I'm, you know, in treatment and, you know, an outpatient day treatment or whatever, or I went through residential, and, you know, I step outside the doors, and now I'm back into society, and then, boom. Yeah. Nothing, you know. I'm fall flat on my face. Right. Well, there's there's no mystery to that. Right. You know, you got to put the tools to use. You know, they, they they're not on autopilot. They don't you know they don't use themselves. You have to use use them. Right. Yeah. And it's uh it's it's easy to get in the habit of not really having to apply them when you live in such a safe environment for folks who are going through a residential treatment where they live in this safe kind of facility or society, this network, you know, where you're surrounded with support and you don't have the worries that the real world is going to bring you, uh, which is why you say practice, 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 practice. You need to use that time to practice as much as you possibly can. So when it is time to game time, so to speak, 
you're ready. But it, it applies even if someone's an outpatient, you know, because there are people who are in outpatient treatment going, you know, and they go into sure. work and they're still living their life, but they're, sure. they're needing help with their uh, their their addiction, and they got to practice it when they're home. They got to practice it when they're at work. You got to practice, practice, practice until it becomes second nature. Agreed. Okay. Let's go to Dorian from San Mateo. Dorian, how are you? Yes, sir. How are you? Good. Can you speak up just a little bit? We have a hard time hearing you. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, much better. Thank you. Um, I would like to know what are the three key fundamentals to staying sober? Did you ask us that before? You sound like a familiar caller. No? Okay. All right. Well, someone did call and ask the same question. Um, What are the three keys to staying clean and sober? And I'm going to give you the same answer I gave them. Okay. I don't like to give three keys to staying sober because, to me, the first key is universal to everybody. Key number two and key number three, four, five, and six is unique to the individual. Okay? So, like, I don't know what your particular circumstances are, your particular issues are that may make up your number two and number three. You know what I mean? Yes. People say sponsor, meetings, things of that nature. I'm trying to see what your point of view is. Okay. Well, let's go with number one first, see if we can agree on number one. Number one is that uh, we've reached a point in our recovery or we've reached a point at some point in our recovery that we have made a commitment that I'm out of that life. Mm -hmm. I'm going down a different road, a different track. I'm committed to doing something positive and constructive with my life. That's number one. And that does not involve using drugs. Correct. Okay? Okay. Would you agree that's a universal number one? Absolutely. Okay. Now, number two and three for you might be, and you said people say, but it's really, what what does Dorian say? What do you think for you, for your unique situation as, as an individual, what comes next for you? So I got I got the commitment thing out the way. I know I'm going down the right track. What's next? What's number two? What's number three? Is it people? Okay. Is it places? Is it things? Is it my family? Is it my relationship? Is it you know what I mean? Is it my is it my children? You know there are right. various things that can throw people off track that they have to. You know what? This no, this is my number two. This is my number three. I got to get these things correct, controlled, resolved whatever it may be, whatever the word you want to use, because these are the things that are important for me. You have to determine that based okay. on your circumstances, of course. No one else can okay. say to you, oh, I want, you know, you got to do this, you got No, because what if, what if the thing that is going to be a major trigger for Dorian is getting back, and I don't know if you have children, I'm just making this up, getting, you know, getting back into contact with his children. And reestablishing a relationship. That's going to be a huge deal for him. Right. A big big issue for him. And he's got a lot of, you know, trepidation about it. And he's worried about how, you know, how, how that's going to work out. And, you know, so that's a trigger for him. Well, that's right. going to be a number two for Dorian. 
You know what I mean? Right. Whereas for somebody else, you know what? I need to, okay, I need to get a sponsor. And number three might be something else. But what's what's true for you might not be true for someone else. That is correct. It's not cookie cutter. It's not textbook. No. Okay. Okay, sir? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Dorian. All right. You have a good evening. Okay. Make sure we hear from you again. You sure will. Okay. Bye-bye. I think I think the caller or the conversation brings up such a good point that's really common in this field and that you touched on, which I think is brilliant, is the idea that there might be, okay, a universal key, a universal step, if you will, or rule of thumb. But after that, it's individual. And I, people in recovery tend to and maybe it's just kind of like a natural kind of response, but for folks who have gotten clean and sober, they tend to believe the way they got it is the way it works. And so that's the way everybody else needs to do it. And that is so far from the truth. You know, that it's different things work for different people. It's really individual. And when you get into the mindset that there is only, there's a box and only the things within this box are the way to do it and nothing else works. It's a dangerous place to be. Right. Exactly. You have to find out what's 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 your number two, number three, number right. four, number five. Right. Not what's mine. What's yours? Right. <clears throat> All right. Let's let's go out of order here because uh, we got a uh, we got a special call. We got Peck calling from Green Bay. How you doing, Mister Peck from Green Bay? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. You should be very happy after last night. Last night. Yeah, after your Green Bay Packers won last night. Oh, well, absolutely. That's, you know, you, you just have to look at it like every game they're going to win. It's a, it's a natural. <laughs> How can I help you, sir? Well, what is your topic this evening? Well, we had a we talked about uh, the definition of a drug and alcohol addict. What was the definition of that? And we also talked about the, the 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 treatment community dogma of once an addict, always an addict, and whether or not that was true, and if there was, and is there a time when that was no longer applicable? That was our show topic. Well, I'd like to voice my opinion about the first portion of the show. Then, sure, go ahead. Um, you know, like I, it's really hard to say. You know, or like you just got to mentioning, everybody is an individual. You have to treat everybody as an individual. And you cannot say this person or that person is going to make it or not make it. Usually, the ones that, say, that you say are going to make it are the ones who don't. Because when they leave the facility, they, they become stronger. They get stronger. For some reason or other, they they finally they finally learned how to tie their shoes, and they can do it. And once they learn that, it's not a big issue for them. But what they look like, I don't think there's any description that you can put on a a drug addict. Uh, 
they come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, and all races, and all creeds, and all different types of jobs. Um, well, what we were defining was the uh, the word addict, and what 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 the definition was, and how sometimes when uh, or, or or oftentimes, especially in today's world, you know, people don't want to call people what what it is. You know, I mean, okay, in 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 the eighties and seventies, we would just call you a dolphin, you know, and, and yeah. be done with it. But you know, yeah, but that, that's just part of the human nature. I mean, that's just like uh, going to an AA meeting and standing up and saying, "Hi, I'm Peck. I'm an addict." Some people have they struggle with that. They absolutely struggle with the fact of that word. Either they're an addict or alcoholic. They don't want to say that because they know if they say that, then they are that. Well, if they are it, they better say it because what's going to happen is uh, others, you know, people around them who see that that's what they're living, are going to tell them. They're going to say, "Do you right. an addict?" But, they, but that's different because it's you could be a lot of things, but until you admit that you are. You know, you're just running on the side there. You're not, you're right. not, we want to, you're treading water. You're not doing anything. You know, you're just there. Like, right. like going to a meeting and uh, not participating in the meeting. Going to a group and not participating in the group. It's the same thing. You, you, you can't, uh, it, it's, it's funny that because I can remember for myself, the first time I went to a, in a meeting, I didn't want to stand up and say, hey, I'm here. I'm an, al- an addict or alcoholic. And I struggled with that for about the first, oh, I'm going to say, first four or five meetings. But the longer you get yourself involved in it, it becomes easier to grasp the fact, yeah, I am an addict. And yes, I am an alcoholic. And once you've gotten that point, like you just had a, a gentleman, uh, with it, Dorian, I think it was, that he wanted to know what he, you know, the first step. That is the first step. You got to admit that you, you are an addict, and now you got to do something about it. Not, you know, it's not like a game plan that you can put together. It, every day is a new day for you. Every That's day right. you have to learn something. You're in agreement with us that on two things. Number one, that the term, what we, what we defined was what an addict was, which was someone who was no longer in control. Of, the drugs and the alcohol were now dictating their life. Right. And the, and the pursuit thereof was dictating their life. Absolutely. If that's, hap- if that's happening to you, you're an addict. And it's just the breakthrough, the breakthrough ultimately comes when you can stand up and and look in the mirror and admit that. You agree with that? I absolutely. Okay. That is the that is the first I believe in my in the first step. Because exactly. you you're not going to talk yourself into going into treatment because you don't think you're an alcoholic or you don't think you're an addict. That is and the biggest fallacy you could tell yourself. You know, is that and, I'm not an addict. And that's exactly what we said, that if, if we we can't go anywhere until we get past that first point. We that's right. That first step, that first step, and it's a big step because a lot of people don't want to admit it. 
Well, uh, I remember as a young boy, I seen a couple of times uh, a man, you know, standing there or sitting there in, in somebody's doorstep with a bottle wrapped in a paper bag. <clears throat> that was an alcoholic back when I was young. Right. Today, an alcoholic comes in every in every shape and size. You know, right. you know, blue collar, white collar, no collar. It could be all of those all rolled up into one. There is That's no right. real, you know, no blueprint for what makes an alcoholic or what makes an addict. But the first step in moving towards recovery is admitting to yourself and to others, yeah, I have a problem. I am an addict. No argument from us, sir. Last thing I want oh, to tell you is, uh, yeah, I know, I, I, I know you like arguing, but last thing I want, last, <laughs> last thing I want to tell you is, uh, uh, go Green Bay. Ah, shut up. Ah, shut up. I know where that one came from. All right, that's that's Mr. Uh, Peck, folks. He, he, he's a friend of the show. Thanks for calling, Peck. Good night. You're welcome. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Great stuff, great stuff. All right, let's move quickly to... Yeah, hello? Scott from Redwood City. Scott, how you doing? Chris. Oh, Chris from Redwood City. I'm sorry. Yeah, I wanted uh, to ask you, um, do you think it's bad for a person in recovery to to have contact with friends that are still using? Yes. Why is that? You tell me. Um, I guess because you can be tempted. What else? Um, that's all I know. What purpose would it serve you? Not really any. So you ready? You already know. You already know. Yeah. Unless we're talking about family, lifelong friends, because I'm not a fan of shunning people, okay? Yeah. But if they don't fit into that category, and, and even lifelong friends, if they're still living a negative lifestyle, it's not about hanging out with them. But there's nothing wrong with Hey, hello. How you doing? How's your mother? How's you know? How's how's your brother doing? You know, there's nothing wrong with it. That's respectful. That's showing dignity. That's you know, you know, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But hanging out, going to the club, and all that, no. That's not all what right. you're about. That's not what you. That's not who you associate with anymore. You associate yeah. with people who are about the same thing you're about. Can I can I leave you with one saying? An old saying. All right. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Okay. All right? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Or oh, Chris. Chris. I keep calling you Scott. Why do I keep calling you All Scott? Right. Thanks, Chris. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. I think I know why I keep calling him Scott. You mean... 
Yeah, okay. Why you keep calling because we got a Scott. we got a Scott on hold <laughs> yeah, from the, the same next, city? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next call on the line is Scott. That's why I keep calling up Scott. It keeps showing he showed up back to back. Right. All right, let's bring Scott on. Scott, I apologize for calling the other guy Scott. Let's get that right. Let's clear that up right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> oh, no worries. <laughs> Scott from Red How are you city, doing right? tonight? Good, good. How are you? Oh, excellent. Thank you. Um, I am a man in long-term recovery. Honestly, I'm calling because I'm grateful for the second chance they've given me at life. And I just wish to give back. We have a saying here where I am that each one teach one. And mm-hmm. I was wondering what the best way I could go about that would be. Well, there's also another saying, you can't keep it unless you give it away. Yep. Okay, so they kind of mean the same thing. Um, and so have you thought about ways that you want to give back or the, the ways that you want to teach teach others? I mean, there's many different ways you can do that. If you're involved in um, in support groups, you know, bringing someone new along who's just entering recovery and, you know, and being a support person, being a sponsor for somebody. Uh, that would be one method I was thinking about. I have yeah. been able to, as long as I've been in where I'm at, I've been able to influence others to change their lives. I just wanted to do that on a larger scale. I was thinking about maybe going back to school, and I was wondering if there's any certain degrees or certifications I would need. Well, let me ask you this question. Is that something you feel in your heart? Yes, sir. Then go for it. Okay, is there's there many, any – sorry? Well, if you want to counsel people in the field of addiction studies, mm-hmm. you know, depending on where, where you live, there's many community colleges that offer the, the, the course to obtain your certification to do that. But I always go back to the first question if it's in your heart because this is heart work, not money work. Helping people Definitely, I understand. Is, you know, helping people is heart work, H-E-R-H-E-A-R-T, heart work, not money work. The reward is not necessarily monetarily, but, of course, you get paid for doing it. But it's what you what you get out of helping another human being. And if that's in your heart, absolutely go for it. That's what your heart's telling you. That's where you're being guided. Cool. And Scott, Thank you very much. Yes, sir. And Scott, by the way, you will not be the first. Many of us have gone that route. Yep, and that's uh, one of the things that has influenced me as well. Okay. Good stuff. I thank you very much for letting me on your show. Okay, and keep us posted on your uh, you know, on your path. Okay. Most definitely. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. All right. Have a beautiful night. All right. You too. Bye bye. So I had to ask the I had to ask the heart question, right? Because you always want to make sure that people know that you know when you get into any any field, it has to deal with helping people, and you know I can doctors, nurses, you know, in any field, right? That deals with helping people, your reasons for getting into it have to be correct, because if it's about something other than that, you know, usually either one you're not going to be very good at it, right? 
until you're not going to be happy. Right. Doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Got to cover that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, how are we on time, Mr. Producer? We're doing pretty well on time. Uh, I'd say we could probably squeeze in another couple of calls before maybe a short music break. Okay. Uh, let's go to Melissa calling from Daly City. Hi, Melissa. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, so my question is, is I've been in, I'm in recovery and I'm struggling with forgiving myself. Um, for some past behaviors as well as trying to build some good self-esteem for myself. And those are two of the things that I've really been struggling with lately. So I'm going to ask you to do something for me, which is um, uh, I, I want you to be a, become a loyal listener to the show because we're going to be doing a show topic on forgiveness. Okay. And that's... Uh, going to be one that I'm certainly going to want to tune into, but to answer your question in this context, if you can't forgive yourself for whatever it is you have done that troubles you, okay, this is going to sound kind of raw, okay, if you can't forgive yourself, you're not going to be able to move forward. Okay. And I understand, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, I, I, you know, I've, I've been working on this for a while and I've forgiven Mm -hmm. myself for, for some things that have happened in, in my past. And, Mm -hmm. uh, there's one thing, you know, um, that I just haven't been able to, to let go of and, and get over yet. And it's still a goal of mine to pursue, um, but I just uh, haven't forgiven myself for kind of waiting this long to take advantage of it, you know, something that, um, of my degree that I have. I'm trying to figure out a way to give you some guidance without giving away our show. Our, our show on forgiveness. <laughs> I can always call back then. Yes, I hope you do call back then, but I still want to give you something. It when when if you say that you have forgiven yourself on some things, but you're struggling with this one particular thing, mm-hmm. I want you to ask yourself, what is it that I am gaining? by not forgiving myself for this particular thing. Hmm. Don't answer it now. Just want you to think about it. What is it that I am getting out of not forgiving myself for this particular thing? Okay, I can do that. Okay. Now, you also mentioned something about self-esteem. Yes. You have low self-esteem? Yes. You want to build your self-esteem? Yes. Okay, I'm going to tell you real quickly how you can build your self-esteem. What the key okay. is to building self-esteem. Ready? Uh-huh. The key to building self-esteem is setting goals and accomplishing them. Okay, I can do that. Did you think it was going to be that simple? No. You thought it was going to be complex and complicated? Of course. No. Setting goals and accomplishing them. 
And the goals can be very, very small in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then they build and build and build. And as you accomplish each one, guess what happens? When you accomplish a goal, how do you feel? I feel good about myself. You feel good about yourself. You feel great. Then you said another one. You accomplish that one. You feel great. And those good feelings just get, it's like compound interest on a, on a CD, you know, a stock CD. It just mm-hmm. gets built on top, on top, on top. Every goal you set, you accomplish it, you feel better and better and better about yourself because you, you actually are experiencing and seeing and feeling accomplishing these goals. You have a frame of reference. You have something you can look at, some hard evidence. You know what I'm saying? It's not this esoteric thing. It's real. I'm doing something to actually impact how I'm feeling. I'm going to step off the limb now. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Our producer has a sense of humor. I, yeah, I gathered that. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank that's you. you. I appreciate your, the information. That, that's how you build your self-esteem. Okay. I I, okay, I can well, do that. I can set goals for myself, realistic goals. Yes. And they don't have to be big. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, why don't we um why don't we take a music break and then we'll come back and finish up with some calls? That sounds good to me. If you are on hold, please bear with us. Enjoy the music. You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do, do for love. You tried everything, but you don't give up.
Welcome back to Road to Recovery. We're going to get right to the callers. Let's go to uh, Eric from Oakland. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. I had a question. I'm new in recovery, and um, at times it feels as if my family doesn't quite understand what I'm going through. 
and um, I wish that they would so that we can, you know, so I can have better support from them. Are there any resources or programs that they can attend um, with me that um, that would educate them a bit more about what addiction is and how they can support me a little better? First thing you're going to do is you're going to give them our number and tell them to call us every Tuesday between 4 and 6 so we can okay. give them some advice and support. That's the first thing you're going to do. <laughs> I will do that. Okay. Um, there are support groups out there. Um, mm-hmm. Al-Anon, you heard of that one? A-L-A-N-O-N. Okay. Okay. Those are available for uh, family members of those that are in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are in, currently involved in a treatment setting, um, um, most treatment settings allow your families to, the family members to, the immediate family members especially, to get involved because they know that it increases the success of the person in recovery. Okay. Okay, and, and, and their participation in that process, they can also learn about what recovery is about and how they can best help the, their their loved one succeed. Okay. Okay. Okay, that sounds that sounds great. I'll definitely relay this uh, information to them. I know that they've been wanting to be supportive, and I don't think they've heard of Al-Anon, so that's that's definitely a program that I'll um, let them know, about. and I'll have them yeah, call you. Every yeah, don't, yeah, tell, tell them about Roach on Recovery. Don't don't forget about that one. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Well, thank you All very right, much man. for your information. You're very welcome. All right. Have a good night. Okay, bye-bye, Art. All right, bye-bye. It's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question because there, there are a lot of people who, kind of like he said, and I think this is what he was touching on, but that there's some parents out there maybe or some people who just don't understand. So what do you mean? Like for the rest of your life you, you can't ever have a glass of wine with dinner or a beer? Like mm-hmm. why why can't you just have one? Like they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really common question, and I think um, obviously Al-Anon is a great resource um, for folks who want to get educated about that, which you uh, gave him that information on. But yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think that happens probably more often than people would assume. Yeah, we want Roach and Recovery to become uh, bigger than Al-Anon. The Al- <laughs> the replacement for Al-Anon? Yeah, no, good call. <laughs> I'm on board with that. All right, let's go to uh, Jerry, calling from East Palo Alto. Jerry. Hello. Welcome. Yes, this is Jerry. Um, I was calling there. Um, I was um, hearing about your radio station to a few friends, and um, I had a um, kind of questionable thing that I wanted to ask because um, I'm an early recovering addict, and so um, I want to try to, I mean, I tried many times uh, um, my way and things like this here, and um seemed that um, my way is always failing, but I thought about because I began to start reading the Bible, and I started thinking of, about their cornerstone, I kind of understand that. So, do that relate a little bit with the um, recovery program that you guys uh, suggest to us? What What's that? I'm like not, a I'm cornerstone, like um, like my way is probably you know thinking about getting a job, getting a building around my job and stuff like that to get an apartment, and car, and things like that there. But um, I think I'm missing a little bit into that. I'm trying to figure out 
that I want that to be my corner store, but I, but it seems like I've been failing. My block's been falling. So what can I do to make that stronger? Okay, so if I understand you correctly, so things like, you know, getting an apartment, getting a, a car, and things of that, those are, you know, necessities of life that people need. So if, you know, if you're, you know, if you if you don't have them and you and you know because you lost them as a result of your addiction and you and you and you go you get help you're now in recovery and you're looking to rebuild your life, those are necessities that you have to reacquire. However, right. okay, what I think I hear you saying is that you know what are what are some of the things other than those quote unquote material things? What what's something that I can use or add to the you know you use the term cornerstone and right. were you referring to religion when you when you said that yes and, okay okay well so, religion yeah. in that part there um um i know that i in a way i believe that I, well my 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 lord and savior is like jesus okay so mm-hmm. i believe that's my rock my my cornerstone but then i'm trying to figure how can i blend that in with um the other part of the corner, I mean, cornerstone that where I want, where, where my um, living arrangement needs to be. So I, I don't know if I can put those two two together or or why not? Some way, like in recovery. Why not? Hmm? Why, why not? Because it, there are oftentimes that people go through recovery and yeah. they relapse. They go through recovery and they relapse. They go through recovery and, and I ask them, okay, t- tell me what are the the parts of your life that, that you have. And they start listing these various parts, various parts. And I say, well, what about spirituality? There's, yeah. there's all, there's, there's a number of facets that have to be in place. We just don't deal with, you know, the mental, the physical, the emotional, the psychological. There's also the spiritual. Yeah. Okay. And, and whatever that means for the individual. So you've identified what it is for you. Of course you can incorporate that. And, it's not related to the the acquiring of the material things. It's connected to, it's a part of your support mechanism. Like you even said it, you know, this is what I lean on, this is what I turn to. Of course that's fine. That's wonderful. That's That's very important. A lot of people actually miss that. It's like the one thing that's missing and they don't, they don't really realize it until someone points it out. Oh, yes. Uh, and um, another question that I wow, this guy. Another question that I had was um, because I hope that what I'm hearing you saying on about that part there is to go ahead. It's okay because to mix my religion with my everyday lifestyle because that was it's, it's like a confusion to me because. Um, but I don't want to go into the religion part of it at all because it's, everything is like conjunct. But I might have to go ahead and attempt to combine that with my uh, everyday living life to be able to try to shadow out the things like drinking and uh, partying, you know, with the, um, drugs and stuff like that there. Because I, I know that I do a good thing with with the part of my religious of, of, of staying away from it, but then I get confused because on the strength of, you know, the Lord said that he don't want, I mean, well, I think that he do expect me to be able to, I got to have some type of way to support myself and live in a right, in, in a right type Absolutely. of way. Jerry, let me, let me tell you two things. One, 
Another old saying. I didn't make these up, by the way. These are things that have been told to me. God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. Okay. Number one. Number two is, like I said before, absolutely your spiritual life, okay, should be a part of your recovery process, a part of your support mechanism. How much of it it is depends on how much you want it to be. For some people, it's a small amount. For some people, it's a a large. It's a very important aspect of their life. Whatever it is, it's fine. It's okay. It's wonderful. Okay? But as long as you know, here's the caveat. Here's the caveat. You must continue to do things. Okay? Don't make the mistake of thinking that, well, my, my religious belief is going to do it for me. No. Jerry must continue to practice what he's learned, use the tools that he's learned to maintain a positive and constructive lifestyle, and his spiritual life, what you know, whatever his religious observation is, is going to be a part of that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 um, so, so, another part of it is is that where they says that you got to get, and, and then, I mean, not in the religious part, but in the um. And the recovery part is where, because um, I do steps and stuff too. Um, the point is, is that you got to get rid of um, people, places, and things, or whatever the old things that 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 triggered me into those type of things. So, is would yes. that be a good idea of starting over? I mean, wow, starting over—that's that's like like a baby or something. Starting over. Yes. You know, yes. trying to get new friends and new new spots. That, I mean, on the streets or whatever. Would that mean moving well, out of East Palo Alto well, and going well, no, somewhere no, else? Because no. you can find no, drugs no, no, everywhere. No, that's right, right. No, but hopefully, if if you're if you're currently in treatment, okay, if you're currently in some type of treatment, that you can make positive friends there. People who have the same same thing in common with you are trying to accomplish the same thing you're trying to accomplish, and can become friends with you or build friendships with you. So. You know that that's a place where you can start, okay? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. And it's not realistic, by the way, for people to think that as a part of my recovery, I'm going to have to move from where I am. That's not realistic. Very few people oh, can move. Okay. You have to you have to build strength in your recovery that you can exist and stay clean and sober regardless of where you live. Your environment oh, okay. is not going to dictate whether or not you stay clean or not. You're going to dictate that, okay? Oh, yeah. So I have to leave. I have to leave you with that, Jerry, because we're up against the clock. But okay. I want you to call back. I want you to call back because that's a very good subject that you raised. Okay. Okay then. Yeah. Great. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank okay. you. Have a great day. Bye bye. Okay, Mr. Producer. How much time we got? Can we can we squeeze one more call in? Uh, we, we have less than the amount of time needed at this point. All right. So we've run it over, but, uh, I believe we could probably squeeze one more caller in, uh, before we'll have to wrap it up for the day. Okay. Let's try and get, let's, let's squeeze in Peter from Redwood City. Peter. Yeah. How are you doing? Um, I have a question for you. Good. Make it real quick. Okay, I've tried. I've tried staying sober in the past. This is my third try at treatment, and I just want to know. Mm-hmm. I want to make it my last, and I would like to know what advice you can give me to stay sober for the long run. You said this is your third try. Yes, it is. 
Okay, so the first thing you have to do is look at, okay, what what went wrong the first two tries? Okay. What did I not do? What did I not grasp? What did I not practice? Okay. Okay. Second thing is, have I arrived at the place and time in my life that I'm ready to do something different and make a commitment to leading a positive, constructive lifestyle? Because if you're not there yet, the cycle will just keep repeating itself. Okay. If you are there, you can look at, okay, what went wrong? What are the mistakes I've made? This is what I need to do to, to correct them and do something different. Okay? Okay. That sounds pretty good. But I wish I had more time to speak to what you brought up. So can you do me a favor? Can you call back next week so we can address that topic? I will do. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Yep, Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much. Bye. So I'm sorry that we ran short on time on that call because he brought up an excellent, excellent topic, as usual. The last call is always an excellent topic. <laughs> always. That's always the way it's going to work. So take us home, Mr. Producer. Will do. Uh, just wanted to let everybody know who's on hold that we didn't get to. Please feel free to call us next Tuesday, uh, and we will get you through. We'd like to thank everybody again who called in or who listened for your continued support. Uh, we are very happy to have you guys with us whenever you choose to join us, and we wish you all a happy and safe weekend. That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW group void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus